Hey, let's open our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. We're going to at least get down through verse 37, maybe even finish the chapter. It just depends. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. You know, the Gospel accounts are so rich, and there's so much here. It's a shame to just go quickly through them. There's certainly a place for that. I remember back in the early days when Chuck Smith began, and he had his... uh, church filled with hippies, actually. And uh, it was a really wonderful thing. And I, I pray that God would bring hippies here. You know, actually, some of you used to be hippies. Peace, bro. <laughs> yeah, some of you. And uh, I, I was so young. that I was still, a, a, I don't even know if I was born. I mean, I, I was born in 69. So uh, I know some of you are going, oh, you young person. But um, but he had a room, you know, filled with, uh, filled with hippies. But one of the things that he did at, at certain times is to get them through the Word of God, he wouldn't expound like we're expounding tonight, or this morning, excuse me. There were times they would have services, and he would just cover lots of ground, just basically just read the Scripture to them. Because they, they came from a culture that was just completely void of, of anything of truth, and much like today. And, and they were hungry and thirsty. And the, great, the best way to get the Word of God into them is just to read it to them. And so there were times where he would just read five, six, seven chapters in an evening and just get the Word of God into them. You know, and as we uh, get older, you know, and as we read these passages, then we want to get into them a little bit better and dig deeper and and farther, and there's nothing wrong with that either. It's all good. Uh, and the main thing is that you're in the Word of God, right? It doesn't matter how much time you spend or how long or how short you do it. Just make sure you get it into you. And there's, there's good reasons for all of that. But if you remember, as we looked at chapter 12 uh, last week, we saw that Jesus had healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and by casting out the demon, the blind and the mute man began to speak and to see, which is very interesting, isn't it? And he did that, and the Pharisees and the scribes who were there were so offended because they were powerless. Their hearts had changed. They were supposed to be the ones pointing people to Christ, pointing people to God, but instead they were looking for more followers of themselves. And instead of following the the Lord in the heart of the law, they they began to just look at the letter of the law, only focused on the externals, but not really the internals. And, And that's a death to anybody who is a Christian, to just follow the letter of the law, because the letter of the law will frustrate you and only get you so far, but it's the grace of God that brings you full circle, brings you into maturity, and that is by far the the harder thing to do, but yet easy if we surrender to Christ. Anybody can come out and list a bunch of laws and start checking off boxes for things you've done wrong, but did Jesus do that to people? I mean, certainly he did confront when necessary, but he was a gracious and loving, compassionate Savior. He didn't excuse any of it, but the way he did it and how he did it was very interesting. And so now he comes and he heals this demon-possessed man, and the Pharisees, the legalists of the day, were upset with him, saying that he doesn't cast out demons by the Spirit of God, but rather by the Spirit of Satan himself, by the Spirit of the Prince of the Devils, Beelzebub. And you recall what Jesus said to them, and we're going to pick up in verse 31. 
He says, therefore, I say unto you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that everyone, that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so as we look at this passage, and like I said, we probably will only get down through verse 37 perhaps today. But remember who Jesus is speaking to. I think in every passage that you read, especially in the Gospels, keep track of who Jesus is speaking to and who his audience is and what the, what the mingling of the audience might be. Because once you do that, you'll get a better context of who he's speaking to and who's hearing it. Because sometimes the questions that people pose Will, will have an impact on your understanding of the passage. But we need to remember that it was the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember, it was in verse 24 and in verse 38 of this very chapter where we know who he's speaking to. He's speaking to them. And they were attributing Jesus casting out the demons by the power of Satan. And in doing so, they, were blas- they had blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, or at least had come so dangerously close. And I believe there was a time that they finally crossed that point of no return. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is sent to glorify the Son. And the Son is to glorify the Father. But the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son. So if you reject the Son, then you've rejected or blasphemed the Holy Spirit's witness of the Son, Jesus Christ. And so ultimately and finally, rejecting Jesus Christ is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. When you take your last breath and you have resisted him to the end, you've you've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, there's no hope for you at that time. But I also believe that even while you have breath in your lungs, that it is possible to cross that line. And only God knows where that line is. Well, I don't. And I'm so glad that I never got to that line. And I gave plenty of opportunity for God to snuff my life out, and I would have been sent on a fast track to hell. I gave him plenty of opportunities to do that. But he didn't in his grace. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they came to a point, I believe, and we will see this, that in John chapter 8, actually, um, let me just read it to you, but you might want to write these verses down, and you can look at it for yourself. Later on in Jesus' ministry, after the chapter we're looking at now, believe it or not, Later on in his ministry, he speaks this way to the Pharisees and the scribes. It says, and then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. 
Where I go, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So there's a little bit of a glimmer of hope there for maybe a group of those Pharisees who would maybe take, go that extra step and research the scriptures and find that this, hey, this is really Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that the scriptures have been prophesying for hundreds of years. This is him. And, men, and some of them were, did come to him. We know Nicodemus was one of them. He came to Christ. But some of them had already made up their mind. In in that same chapter, in verse 44, Jesus said to that group, he says, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when uh, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Do you hear what he said to them? You are of your father, the devil. They had, at this time, crossed that line. And that's a scary place for a human being. I pray that none of, nobody passes that line. And that's why it's imperative that you come to Christ. That you give your heart to him. That you confess your sins and believe in him. It's imperative, folks. You must be born again. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said that. He said, you must be born again. We were all born of water, you know, floating around that little amniotic sack in our mother's womb all nice and warm until it broke, and then we were evicted from our, our hotel. We were all born of water, but now we need to be born of the Spirit. We need to be born from above. That's literally what born again means. Anagoneo in the Greek. It means to be born from above. The Spirit of God taking up residence in my heart, unlike ever before, Because I was governed by a different spirit before I came to Christ. Can anybody attest to that? I was totally governed by another spirit. I I don't think I was demon-possessed, but I was doing my own thing. And thus, the devil was very happy with my condition. Just stay there, Rob. I almost got you. But Jesus says to these men, in verse 48 of, the, of John chapter 8, he says, Then the Jews answered and said to, him, said to him, Do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? And Jesus answered, and he says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Can you imagine hearing the voice of Christ saying to you, You dishonor me? I would hate to see that. He, they crossed the line. They had crossed the line. This morning's message is, a tree is known by its fruit. Or you will know a tree by its fruit. Notice how Jesus responds to these legalists now. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Yes, a tree is known by its fruit. When we hear this phrase, we often relate it to judging or being judgmental. But we have to understand that our culture, because of its guilty conscience, doesn't want to be reminded of evil things that it has done. 
People in our culture, they don't want to be reminded of the evil things that they've done. Have you ever been around somebody and they've done something in your presence and immediately that comes out of the mouth, hey, don't judge me, man. And you haven't even said a thing. Has anybody had that happen? You know why that happens? Because they're guilty. They know, and the, and the Spirit of God has convicted their heart. You don't even have to say anything. And then they get mad at you because you said nothing. Right? Because in their heart, they know what they've done is wrong. Their conscience has already convicted them for their wrongdoing. But truly, the only one who can truly judge with righteous judgment is Jesus. Because listen, folks, Jesus is the only one who knows the motive behind the things that we say and do. He not only knows the motive behind the things, but he is the only one who can ultimately pass judgment on judgment day. Do you follow me? So, but we as people, and especially believers, we should discern actions, and we need to be able to do this for our own safety, for the safety of others, and for order. Are you following me? In Proverbs 20, it says this, even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. Well, that's just being judgmental. No, it's not. It's being discerning and using wisdom. Actions are judged or else how would we uphold any order in our society? Laws are put into place. And if we transgress those laws, then we're judged according to that law, correct? Amen? Everybody here? (laughs) If you're driving 75 miles an hour down by Finney High School and and you're going in a 35 miles uh, school zone and you get pulled over by the police... Uh, are you going to say, uh, hey, look, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace, bro. And he'll say, well, under the law, you're still going to get a ticket. You're still going to get a ticket. If you steal over $1,000, you're still going to pay the price. You're going to be busted for grand larceny, whether you're under grace or not. You are being judged for your crimes. As believers, we are not judging by calling a sin or an action what it is. The sinner action may be sinful and it may even be illegal, but we are not judging by calling it what it is. Law enforcement, they judge according to civil laws, but only God, again, can pronounce eternal judgments. So we have to exercise discernment, don't we? By looking at a tree and examining its fruit, isn't that what we are doing? You will know them by their fruit. Well, isn't that a judgment? Not in the way you think, because you're not condemning anybody. You're not passing sentence. But you should be able to say, that action, that thing, is not good, because the Bible tells me so. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not passing sentence. You're not sending them, making a determination of their eternal well-being at that point. You're just pointing out the obvious. That a man punching an elderly person on the streets of New York City, just walking up and hitting them, that's wrong. Well, don't judge me. (laughs) Okay. It's wisdom. It's discernment. So he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. In other words, make your decision. Jesus is speaking to these legalists. Make your decision. They had become, uh, they were likely, like I said, had crossed that line. He says, make up your mind. Which side are you going to be on? And today we need to make up our mind. Who we are going to serve. Are we going to serve And have our life after Jesus? Or is it going to be about us? 
Is it going to be about my desires, my will for my life? After all, it is my life after all. Well, no, it isn't because God made you. And if he's redeemed you, he owns you. And if he has given to you eternal life, which is an immeasurable gift, then how much more should I give my life to him? How much more should I give all of my life, my thoughts, my decisions? Shouldn't I run them by the bar of God's grace and run them by him and say, Lord, whatever it is that you want to do with me, you just do it. You just do it, Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there was a face-off between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You remember it. And so Ahab, king of Israel, he sent for all the children of Israel. He gathered them, the prophets, together on Mount Carmel, which is a place we visit when we go to Israel, up in the uh, northwestern part of Israel. And Elijah came to all the people, and notice what he says. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, if Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people didn't answer a word. And God showed up that day. And he brought down fire on the, on the sacrifice and licked up the water and the sacrifice, even though it had been doused with water. But whose side are you going to be on? That's what Jesus was saying to them. Either make the fruit good or make the fruit bad. Make your decision. Are you going to be on here or are you going to be over here? And so his exhortation is to make up your mind. And see, sometimes, excuse me, it's hard to discern whether someone is a believer or not. But by their speech, by their actions, eventually they show by their life choices, really where they're at. People can be like chameleons. Have you been around a chameleon before? In Florida, I haven't seen many uh, in the last several years, but I remember growing up on Pine Island in southwest Florida, and you had to take two bridges to get to where we were, and we lived down at the north end of the island. It it really was a tropical paradise. And these little lizards, chameleons, little green ones, and they were able to jump on a rock and change. Based on their environment, based on what they were around, they were able to change their colors instantly. And they could blend right into the background. And so many people are like that. Depending on who they're with, depending on their circumstances, the the people that they are around, they change like the wind. They change like the wind. And such a person is called a double-minded person. The scripture tells us in James chapter 1, verse 8, that such is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded, it's a word, it's a Greek word called dipsychos. means two-minded, two-spirited, two different interests, not one or the other, but you know, living kind of on the fence, playing both ends against the middle. And God would rather have us to be one way regardless of where we're at, regardless of who we're in front of. You know that you're maturing in the Lord when you are the same no matter where you go. When you're comfortable in your own skin and you're comfortable with who you are in the Lord, you're maturing when you get to that place or when you're starting to grow into that area where you're not concerned about everybody around you and comparing yourself with somebody else. You're just happy to be in the kingdom. And I am who I am. That's all that I am. I'm Popeye the sailor man, right? You're just happy. You're happy to be in the kingdom. We ought not to compare ourselves. 
But do we have one foot in the kingdom? One foot in the world, the Pharisees. That's why Jesus provoked them. Make your decision. Either make the tree good or make the tree bad. Figure it out, guys. Which side are you going to be on? Well, we're going to be on God's side. Yeah, but God pointed to me. The scriptures are about me. Well, we're going to follow God. Well, good luck with that. Because if you don't have the son, then you don't have the father either. The Bible says that. It's all about Christ. God's salvation. There is no other way to approach God other than through Jesus. There's no way I can get to heaven except through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through him. And if we have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, then we're in the danger of walking in this lukewarmness. Remember, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus spoke to the church of the Laodiceans, and he says, "Um, I wish I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. In other words, I wish you'd made the decision. What side are you going to be on? Are you going to be in the world? Then be in the world. If you're going to be in the, in, the, in the kingdom, then be in the kingdom. What confusion of mind and heart it is to straddle both sides of the fence. You're not going to be happy. You'll never be happy until you make that choice 100% for Christ. And I would encourage you to do that today if you haven't. And even if you've been walking with the Lord some time, the world doesn't have a way of just watering us down like water on sandstone. It just breaks us down, and it's just always trying to needle its way into us and pry us away, pry our fingers away from the throne of God. It's just, little by little, it's just trying to peel our fingers off and have dominion over us again. The world does that. It's what the world does. It's what Satan does. He says, I knew, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And this describes much of the church in the 21st century, and especially in America. Not necessarily you, not necessarily others, but as a whole, the church is in a mess. We're allowing all kinds of Horrible things going on in the church. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, when he spoke the Beatitudes, remember? He says, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. But every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Well, don't judge me, brother. No, look at the works. Look at the fruit. You know them by their fruit. Is that a judgment or is that just discernment and wisdom? It's discernment and wisdom. I'm not condemning anybody to hell or heaven. (laughs) You're just pointing out the obvious. A man who murders is, guess what? He's a murderer. It's okay to call a spade a spade. A tree is known by its fruit. Turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. It's a great psalm. There's a lot to it, but there's one specific spot I want to get to. 
Notice what the psalmist says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But notice his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And here it is, because he's made the law of God and he meditates on it day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Do you hear that? That brings forth its fruit in season. How happy and blessed is the person, is the tree that has an abundance of water to nourish it. Notice that the fruit then, as a result of that, comes naturally and normally within its season. It's just, it's its appointed season. You know, in the fall, we know we can go out in the fields and there's beautiful apples, you know, in, in, in some rural areas in New York State. They're harvesting apples. They're delicious. We know the time. In July, we know that there's really good peaches. And we know when the corn, the sweet corn, local corn is coming. And we love it. There's a season. We know it's predictable because it's healthy. By the river of water, happy is the tree, happy is the person who is in the river of water, near that, near that stream where it can just lay over its, its branches and its roots and, and just soak up all of the good nutrients of that water going by. And see, you and I are like that as we read the Word of God, as we fellowship together, as we allow the Spirit of God to have His way in us. But notice, whose leaf shall not, also shall not wither, and, and what, whatever he does shall prosper. This leaf, it speaks of the evidence or proof of the health of the tree. You look at the tree, and if it's got leaves and they're nice and thick and beautiful, that tree is really healthy. Of course it is. It's planted by the rivers of water. It's receiving all that it needs. It is the witness of the tree's health. Recently, we had this ice storm blow through the area uh, just a few days ago, and you, you, as you travel, you see trees that are, have fallen down, and there's crews out there cutting them all up and everything. And you know what the ice storm did? It made manifest what was happening that nobody could see. That ice began to form on those trees, and the trees, internally, we couldn't see. They looked healthy. They were hanging over the street. And then you're driving your fancy car underneath that thing. In the summer, it's no big deal. But now that things are starting to fall, you're a little bit pensive. But what's happening inside the tree? Nobody could see. It was rotting on the inside. We couldn't see it. But the storm brought it out. It made manifest the weakness within that tree. How great was that tree? Well, in that area of the tree, it wasn't doing good at all. It was diseased. It was weakened. Through some means, whether it was a squirrel boring in the side and rain coming in and eventually rotting it out and, you know, disease, who knows what it is. But what kind of tree are you? Are you that kind of tree that is healthy? What kind of fruit is coming from your life? Is the fruit attractive for others to pick and inquire of? Or is the fruit of your life bitter? Is it overripe? Is it ripe at all? Is it filled with parasites? If you're not a healthy physical person, physically if you're not healthy, there's a cause. It could be some hereditary condition. It could be your diet. It could be 
you know, lack of exercise, poor hygiene. Maybe you were exposed to some hazardous elements, or maybe you were in an accident, or maybe none of those things. But if you're not healthy spiritually, there's also a probable cause for that as well. Because if you're not healthy spiritually, the thing you have to ask is, am I a believer in Christ at all? Am I born again? And what are you being conformed to? Yes, even as a profane, pro- professing Christian, what am I being conformed to? Romans 12 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that you may prove what is that acceptable and perfect will of God. How, do you, how are you renewed in the spirit of your mind? But through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That's how I'm transformed. The world has brainwashed us with all of its corruption and all of its crazy ideology, but you know the Bible is a cleanser. The Word of God is like water, cleansing your hearts and your minds. Yes, I want to, and and boy, this will trigger somebody, I want to be brainwashed by the Word of God. That's going to freak somebody out. Somebody's going to run off the road on that one. Yes, allow your heart and your mind to be completely brainwashed by the Word of God. It needs to be washed because it's filthy. My heart and my mind are filthy, always has been, until Christ shows up and he cleanses my heart. As I read his word, isn't there a witness in your heart like, oh, thank you, God, for just touching my heart. Read the word of God before you go to bed. If you have trouble sleeping, read the genealogies in Leviticus. And I'm having fun with that. But read the word, read the Psalms. Be careful which one you read, too. If it's an imprecatory psalm of David, Lord, kick their teeth in. You know, you might want to stay away from that one before bed. But there's plenty of other ones where you just like you're pieced out. Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters. Restores my soul. My cup runneth over. If that doesn't like melt you and just cause you to be poured into a, like, mercury, I don't know what is. The peace. Read the Word of God. Let it renew you. And if you're not healthy spiritually, there's other causes. Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you engaged in Bible study? Are you praying? Are you going to a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church? Are you obeying the Lord? Are you speaking to others about Jesus? How is your evangelism personally with people in your workplace? Are you still reaching out to people? Or have you just shut your mouth and said, you know what, just let them go to hell? Is that the way we ought to be? No, then I've got to examine my heart and say, Lord, what happened to me? I can tell you what happened. The world has gotten in and has soured our hearts. We no longer want to talk about the good news because, honestly, for some of us, it's not really good news anymore. It's just a source of contention with my family. But it is good news. It's the best news you're ever going to hear. And yes, it is divisive. It's supposed to be. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What famous prophecy teacher are you listening to on YouTube? Is he led by the Spirit? Is he biblical? Does his ministry bring you closer to him or closer to Christ? Is there always a pleading for money and buying of merchandise that he's selling? Is he shepherding your heart? Poor God, or is he fleecing your wallet? Good questions to ask. In Second Peter, 
He says, speaking of false teachers and these Pharisees were false. When they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption by whom a person is overcome. By him also is he brought into bondage. And that's why it's important to always think about who it is that you're watching. Am I that tree by the living waters? What am I taking in? What am I bringing into my life through my eyes and my ears? How is it affecting me? It will affect you, folks. We are designed that way, that everything we see and handle and touch is going to affect us, either for the positive or for the negative. And we have to make that decision. And much of the church today, we've lost that. We think, well, I got my ticket stamped to heaven. I know that I'm going to heaven, and I'll just live the way I want to now. Well, you can do that, and you're going to go to heaven as long as you're saved. (laughs) But as time goes on, don't you start to question whether you're really saved or not when you start flirting around with the world? Is there a great confidence in your heart that you're still a child of God? Well, I don't want that question mark. I believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. But what kind of thing, what kind of tree are you? We need to abide in Jesus. John, in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me, notice, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Literally, in the Greek, he lifts it up. Does that blow your mind? Some people think, well, You've been taught that uh, if you're not bearing fruit, he's just going to cut you off and throw you away and burn you. you know? Is that really what it means? No, it means to lift up. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he lifts it up and gets it out of the water and puts a rock underneath it so that the sun can come and dry it out. He wants to restore you. And then every branch that, bear, that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And I've tried to prove that I can do something apart from Jesus, but I failed miserably. I can't do anything apart from him. But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. What? That you bear much fruit. So shall you be, so you will be my disciples. I love that. Don't you? We can abide in him. And by abiding in him, we are very comfortable staying put and allowing him to nourish us and to nurture us. Then we are like that tree planted by the rivers of water, taking in the nutrients of the word. The word of God is like, a, is like water. It cleanses us, doesn't it? In Matthew chapter 21, right on the heels of Jesus' triumphal entry, you remember it says in verse 18, it says, Now in the morning as he returned into Jerusalem, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it, found nothing on it but leaves, and he said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. And his disciples saw it, and they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. 
Israel was like this fig tree. They were at that point where nationally they had rejected Jesus. They had nationally rejected him. And as a fig tree, symbolic of Israel, as he goes and he looks for fruit on that tree, the very evidence, the witness of what God was doing in their life, and he saw no fruit, he says, let no fruit grow on you anymore. And it withered away. Symbolic of what was happening nationally at that point. They had become faithless, unbelieving. They've rejected Jesus Christ. And many of the religious leaders would have said, well, we've not rejected God, but we've rejected Jesus. But what does John say in his first letter? He who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whosoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, but he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And they were like, we believe in God, but this Jesus character, we want to get rid of him. Well, if you do that, then you don't have either. How can you deny the only salvation How could they deny God's only means of salvation? Well, they did it. And they would pay the price for that. The same is true for us today. This is what separates the real Christian biblical church from the Jehovah's Witnesses, from the Mormons and other Eastern religions. You know, they don't believe that Jesus is God and equal with the Father, and yet what what does the Bible say? We just read it. So who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the cultists, the theologians with PhDs? Are you going to believe the word of God? See, we need to believe the word of God. So what kind of tree are you? What kind of fruit? And I say that, and I say it to myself too. It's a challenging thing. And God's not here to condemn anybody. He wants to draw you closer. Just like that vine, you know, if the branch is not doing well, he wants to lift it up. That it gets out of the water and and starts to decay and the vine starts to break down from from disease and, and rot. He wants to lift it up. He doesn't take it away and cut it off and throw it away. No, he lifts it up. That's what the word means. That's what it means. That's what he wants to do to you and I. He wants to lift us up. So that we can get the sun, we can get the nutrients. And if you've been at Calvary Chapel for even a year, you know and have been exposed to more than many churches, maybe that you've been in in a number of years. Because many, I'm not saying, there there are many that don't teach and believe the Bible. There are churches here in Rochester that don't even believe in Jesus. There's one not too far away from here that has a homosexual pastor who's married to a man, and the church is just fine with that. That's a problem. It would it, be, be horrible for a man, even as a heterosexual, to be married or, or, or sleeping with a You get my point. Sin is sin. But the church is okay with that. And the church shouldn't be okay with that. Oh, you're just being judgmental. No, I'm not. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. If Jesus were here, he would say the same thing. But now we live in a culture that's so refined and so woke that now anything goes. No, anything doesn't go, and it shouldn't go. God is holy, and he calls us to be holy. It doesn't mean we're perfect. 
When I sin, I confess my sin before God. And what is the promise? That if I confess my sins, he's faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The blood of Christ covers me. And they could do the same thing. But I tell you what, if they don't turn and repent of that sin, they're going to be in awful trouble. And especially as leaders in the church. Leaders. It's one thing if people come in who are of that persuasion. Hopefully they hear the word and it changes them. We're not going to kick them out but they shouldn't be at a pulpit leading people because they're not leading them to Christ. Maybe a Christ of their own making, a false Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not being judgmental. That's being real. It's being truthful. But a healthy tree is cultivated. It's tended to. The soil may have to be tested for the correct pH balances. My wife has this hydrangea right outside our kitchen window or our dining room area, and uh, we planted this, and we double-dug, and we mixed all the soil with all this fancy stuff that she bought, and, we, and we, we did that years ago, and this thing is like taking over the whole neighborhood. <laughs> it's so healthy. The leaves are green, and it's just sprawling everywhere. We're like, what are we going to do with this thing? We've got to set it on fire. It's going to kill us. You know, in the middle of the night, I feel this thing, around, and it's like a leaf growing in from the side of the house underneath the windowsill, and you know, I mean, it's not that bad yet. But that's what a cultivated tree gets. She, she researched the pH levels and put that preen or whatever that stuff is. It's stuff that it, it, you, can, you can balance out the pH. It's something else. She knows what it is. Um, but... You know, you remove the dead leaves, you remove the sucker growth, and you fertilize it, you water it on a regular basis, and all of these things bring forth a healthy tree, and unfortunately, ours is very healthy. And the fruit that is produced from the tree, it demonstrates, the leaves show everybody looking in the area, and it's not that hard to see. When you're driving by, oh my God, that tree is so healthy. It is. It's beautiful. Sorry, I know I'm going over the top here. I'm just. But the health of the tree, the leaves, the witness, shows that the husbandman of that tree has been taking good care of it. My wife, not me. She took care of that tree, and now it's 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 very happy. But when we abide in Jesus, we are like that tree planted by the rivers of waters. And guys, even in our wives, you know, what does the Bible tell us in Ephesians? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her so that he might sanctify her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, he should, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own selves as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. To wash our wives, guys, in the water of the word. Now, what, you know, do what you can. You don't have to give her an hour-long Bible study. Do you know how easy it is to wash your wife in the water of the Word? I mean, if this is all you did, that would be good. Just pick up your Bible and set aside a time. Turn off your phones in the morning and say, hey, let's just read a psalm or two. Just read through it. And let the Lord open up something, and that's good. Just do that. You don't have to plan some kind of you know, four-point sermon for your wife. Stand up before her and you know, get, make a pulpit in the, in the bedroom. Listen to me, woman. 
right? It's not that way. Just be real. Cuddle up on the couch, get your cup of coffee, get the blanket and get all snuggled and open the word for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever you got. A little bit is worth more than nothing. Pray together. But what does Jesus say now in verse 34? He calls them a brood of vipers. You legalists, you're a brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yes, brood of vipers. Jesus was never this stern with the average person. Oh, but oh, the religious leaders who are supposed to be leading people closer to God, he has a problem with them, and he's not afraid to call them what they are. He called them a brood of vipers. Jesus also called the the scribes and the Pharisees blind guides, fools. He says, you're whitewashed sepulchers, you're serpents, a generation of vipers. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, graves that are not. He wasn't afraid to put his finger right in the thing and, and really get their attention. But Jesus was so kind to people, wasn't he? The religious leaders, though, to whom much is given, much is required, they were supposed to be leading and shepherding the people of God. Instead, they were getting rich and using those things to enrich themselves rather than bring people closer to Jesus. They were blind guides. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's been said that if you spend time with someone, you'll soon discover what is really on their heart. And if someone were to spend time with you for a day or two, what would they come away saying that you talked about most? Sports? There's nothing wrong with any of these things in and of themselves, don't get me wrong. But what is the the whole tenor of your life? What is the tenor of your heart? Is it sports? Is it the stock market? Is it politics? God help you if it is. And I'll be honest with you, I flirted with that and I'm sick of it. But I'll be honest with you, what what is on my heart? What comes out? Is it Jesus? Is it something else? Notice, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of it, the mouth will speak. It's like a volcano, isn't it? Your mouth is like, your heart is the volcano and your mouth is the vehicle for it. Whatever the passion of your heart is, it's going to spill out and expose itself, isn't it? Why? Because the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And see, this is how seasoned interrogators get criminal suspects to confess. They use techniques like food when they're questioning their suspects. They're schooled in body language. They can tell by the way they hold their hands or when they're asked a question, they look up or they look around, they're shifting in their seat, they're doing all these things, telltale signs that you're lying through your teeth. If a detective ever invites you to a dinosaur barbecue, you're busted. (laughs) You're going to sit there eating those ribs and licking your fingers. Oh, yeah, I did it. I committed the crime because you're so pieced out. It's a technique. Judas Iscariot's heart was exposed, wasn't it? Because of what dominated it. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth spoke. What happened in John chapter 12? says that... uh, that uh, Mary, remember, took a, a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance. A very expensive uh, ointment, by the way. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, and I love how John tells us who it is. It was Judas. 
Simon's son, who would betray him, says, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarius and given to the poor? And notice how the Holy Spirit busts him in the very next verse. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Yes, and Jesus knew all about it. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke and exposed his real motivation, exposed who he really was. Because he wasn't living by the river of water, he was, wherever he was at, he was allowing his roots to be, you know, going down into some kind of, you know, petroleum-based ugly thing that's full of toxins. And his heart represented it. In verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So if you worship money, if you worship success, you're going to be a greedy, driven, step on anyone, do anything that you can kind of person. If that is where your worship is, you will become like that which you worship. Judas hung out at the altar of greed. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth very freely spoke. And by the way, I love Peter because he was the same way. He was one of those impetuous characters. And I love Peter because I find that I'm, like a, I'm a lot like Peter. I'm learning as I get older in the Lord when to keep my mouth shut and when to speak. And... I don't know how I'm doing that. You can talk to my wife after service, but I'm trying very hard to say, Lord, take control of this, this, this thing. This thing. Take control over it because if you don't, I'm going to be a mess. What does it tell us in the Psalms? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. But their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. Ears they have, but they do not hear. Noses they have, they don't smell. They have hands, they don't handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. They, nor do they mutter through their throat. And those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The things that I, the, the altars that I'm bowing down to, what are they? Because those are, I'm going to become like that which I worship. So if you worship Jesus, you're going to be more like him. The Apostle Paul's heart was such where he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. That's Philippians 3. But notice, Jesus goes on, he says, but I say to you that for every idol Word and, and this is speaking of a lazy or careless word that, you, that men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. And wouldn't you agree with me that words are very important? The words that you and I choose are very important because with a word, I can lift somebody up and make them smile. And with a word, I can tear their heart out and cause great harm. Men, you know this with your wives. You can speak one thing to her, and it will ruin her entire week. You can say, and even a nonverbal thing you can do, and you can hurt somebody so bad. 
Sometimes even a lack of words at the right time, by not speaking, by being silent, can cause great harm. Because it's not just what we say and how we say it, but it's also what we don't say. So it's a tricky business to be alive, isn't it? Because everything I think, everything I say, the things that I don't say, and how I say it has an impact. It means something. And people know it. It's like that awkward silence when somebody says, hey, do you think I've got a great voice when I'm singing? And you're like... <laughs> what have you said? You've basically said, you know what? I've heard cats that are, you know, giving birth that sound better than your voice. But, you know, God loves a cheerful singer. Jesus loves your worship, but I can't stand it. But what does it tell us in Ecclesiastes? There is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. So how important are words? Have you gotten in that dilemma where you, should, you know that you should have spoken something and you didn't? And there are other times where you know you should have kept quiet and you didn't? Don't you always analyze what you've said? You're with a person and you've said something and you know you should have kept your mouth shut. And then other times you should have you know, not said something and yet you did. There's an old children's rhyme and you remember it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Do you remember that? That's only partially true, isn't it? Because a name call or something that is said may not break my bone, but it can break my heart. And it can sever a relationship, break a trust that's been building for years. There's people in this room where some, someone in your family in the past, 10, 15, 20 years ago, said something to you, and you've never forgiven them for it, and you've never talked to them about it. You've just stifled it down, stuffed it down into your heart, and you've never approached them on Christmas or Thanksgiving and say, hey, can I talk to you for a few minutes? Sure, what's up? You know, something you said years ago, I just can't get it off my head. I can't get it out of my heart, and I've been boiling ever since. Remember when we were talking about this situation and you said this, you killed me that day. And I'm here not to rub your nose in it. I just want to tell you that if you're feeling any kind of resistance from me, if you're feeling any kind of uh, angst uh, for me toward you, why I'm not hugging you as robustly, you know, you're not picking them up off the ground and doing this like, you know, the bear hug. If I'm not doing that, it's because I've been harboring this ugly thing in my life. And I just want to tell you that I want to be honest with you. I'm sorry that I've done that. And hopefully the other person will say, you know what, I never even knew that. And I'm sorry that I did that too. Will you forgive me? Of course. Now let's go eat turkey. Now let's go in and have the apple pie. Now that our grievance has been dealt with. It can be that simple. But our words are so important. We're, it's, if we were able to master our heart and our tongue, this world would be quite different than it is now. What does James tell us? You know, our, our tongue is like a... Um, it, it's a he said, indeed, we put bits in the horses' mouths and that they obey us, and we turn their whole body with it. Look also at ships. They're so large, but yet driven by a rudder, and they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. But even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. 
The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of burst, a beast, excuse me, and bird, a reptile creature, has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And here it is, verse 9. With it we bless our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of my same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. James, Jesus' half-brother, is saying this. These things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Of course not, because it's, it's it's a different kind of tree. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. If that spring is not going to, that spring is not going to well up fresh water on one side and and putrid water on the other side. It's going to be one or the other. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. It's true. A word can affirm my faith and my words can also disavow my faith. And by my words, I can stumble somebody else. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes. It says, Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. That gives me a a little bit more gravity about my speech and the things I say. And I hope it does for you too. What tree are we? What's the fruit coming forth from our life? Because the scribes and the Pharisees were completely given over. They turned and they had rejected Christ, not only personally but nationally. So... For by your words, verse 37, you will be justified, and by your words you will be contemned. Isn't it true that uh, Romans tells us that if we confess with your mouth, notice, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you see how my words justify me? Because I'm confessing in Jesus, and he has justified me, but I have confessed it with my mouth, and therefore my words are very important. By my words, by those words, I'm going to be justified before God. And for the unbeliever, we know that there's coming a time for them too, even at the great white throne, where the books will be opened, and they will be judged according to those things in the books. And what is going to be in those books other than actions and words that were spoken? By our very words, we will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. For the believer, we will still stand before the Lord at the the Bema seat or the judgment seat after the rapture, not for salvation, but for crowns or lack thereof, for rewards of things we've said and done while in the body. And if I get any reward at that Bema seat judgment, I'll be very happy, but I'll have gotten in by the skin of my teeth, and I'll be very happy. But think of the person who has rejected Christ and stands before God and they say, don't judge me, bro. And God will say, well, you are going to be judged. I already know. And here's the proof. 
And God, in an instant, I believe, will be able to open up the book for all those souls. And unfortunately, this is horrifying. He'll be able to open it up. And I'm sure in a a moment, he can communicate to all of them all at once. Here is why you're here at this white throne judgment seat. Well, you'll be cast into outer darkness forever and ever. This is why, because you have rejected my son. And these are the things that you have done in your life that has, you've spurned every opportunity that I have given to bring you to myself. I've given you every opportunity. So you have made the choice for your eternal resting place. And they'll be sent to outer darkness Gehenna, the lake of fire. And you think God is happy with that? I can tell you he is not. It breaks his heart. And if it breaks his heart, I have to ask myself, Lord, why I'm around a lot of people throughout the day, break my heart. Change my heart that I have a a, a hunger, a, a love for those that don't know you. Because so often we can see the unbeliever as our enemy. Well, they're this, they're that. No, they're not your enemy. There's only one enemy, and it's Satan. And he's held many captive, and we have to go out and tell them. We have to bring them in. We have to encourage them. We have to love on them, despite all the other things that we hate about them that we used to be all over us as well. Don't be afraid to Reach out to somebody whose life is a mess. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's what Chuck Smith did in the 60s when he invited all those hippies in. Do you remember the church at the time? There were all these starch guys and the board of elders on one side, and there was a bunch of hippies over on this side, and they were all excited, holding up their Bible, worshiping. These guys looked like they'd been sucking on lemons. And many of them left the church. But God was breathing life to, into the, this, this group of people that nobody wanted anything to do with it. I can't believe they don't have shoes on. I think once one, the elders of that church were so upset, they got new carpet. And these guys were coming in with, with no shoes on. And Chuck's like, well, is the, is the carpet a barrier? Then just tear it out of here. Get it out. Bring them in. And the door swings both ways. See ya. <laughs> See, that's the people. That's the attitude of God. The heart of God is to reach the lost. And Jesus here, and there were some of those Pharisees that had crossed the Rubicon, but there were some there. And Nicodemus was one of them. As Jesus was saying, if you will confess, if you will turn away, it's still possible What does our tree look like? What is our fruit? Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for uh, this passage. Lord, we pray that we would be like in Psalm 1, that tree that is by the rivers of waters. Lord, that we'd be healthy there by the stream. Lord, having you cultivate us, having you... Um, give us the fertilizer and, and everything at, at our foundation, everything that we need to be fruitful in this life, Lord, to be a light to everyone around us. Lord, to love you and just to simply love you and not be 
all uptight about rules and regulations, Lord, but just to love you and to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So would you do that in us today, Lord, and, and help us to think about our foundations. What, what is our foundation? What, what, what's at the bottom, at the root of our tree? What are we taking in? So, Lord, thank you for your love today. I pray you bless my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you'd encourage them and encourage myself to help us, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.